podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. Lots to be casting our eyes over. Week 9 of the NFL, done and dusted. Another explosive Sunday of football. Sunday night football didn't live up to the hype. But it was a brilliant performance from the New Orleans Saints. What a win for them. What next for the Bucks after that blowout? Some extraordinary scorelines across the league, including the Bills blowing the Seahawks out of the water. What about the Chiefs run close by the Panthers? We'll talk Tua versus Kyler as well. So much more to get into. So let's welcome the brilliant Mr. Greg Brady. So Greg, straight off the bat, I've already worked out why Sunday Night Football was so one-sided. Well, I need a reason because uh, I, I didn't invest my entire evening uh, in early morning into it before a 3.50 a.m. Eastern time <laughs> alarm goes off. But, but I also want the hour and a half I did invest back. I want it back. I want, I want it in the mail. I want it delivered via Amazon. I, I want it to show up on my doorstep. I want an hour and a half. I know we just did the clocks in our country a week after you guys did yours. The spring forward <laughs> fall back. I need another 90 minutes now. I have emailed Bruce Arians already making that official request. I sent yeah. in the orange form uh, as per protocol. No, so we're going to break down exactly how the Saints uh, pulled it off. One of the best performances of the season, I think it's fair to say. But it, the, the real truth of it is that Ollie Thornton, our producer, our producer on this show, also produced our live coverage on Talk Sport 2 on Sunday nights, the show that you and I worked together last night, of course. Uh, Was Ollie, that him yesterday? I couldn't tell. I, I heard so little from him, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of keeping it on, keeping the ship the ship afloat at various points he's so busy studying like all nine ten ten games that are going on simultaneously you know it's all about the business all he thought he anyway said uh he's the reason he's the curse of sunday night football every time ollie who is one of the hardest working men in broadcasting of course every time he stays up and into the wee small hours and 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 burns the candle at both ends the game is a damp squib and that's what he did last night he said i'm staying up for this one it's going to be one of the games of the season and it was an absolute black. It was, it was a game that was done before half time, all right? Which was, uh, <laughs> and as we were talking about just before we started recording, much of the delight of the uh, Sunday Night Football producers on NBC who were trying, <laughs> and Michaels and Collins were trying to find any angle they could to keep you locked in, to keep you, keep you focused. I mean, extraordinary first half performance Ex- from the Saints, wasn't it? Extraordinary. And, and I, I will get to that. I, I've always found that fascinating. I don't think there's anything that, that equates that being a sports fan in North America. We get, obviously we get mid afternoon champions league games, or we got to get up early and, you know, watch the big tennis tournaments, the French open yeah, and Wimbledon, yeah. but there's nothing quite like people even say with doing breakfast radio here, uh, which I've done from uh, occasion to occasion. How do you get up so early? And, and especially when you're doing sports specific, you're, you lay it out there for them. And you say, there's 17 weeks where there's three NFL games that end about 12.08 uh, a.m. Eastern time. And you got to pick and choose you guys even more so. Like, look at even this week's matchups. Indy at Tennessee on the Thursday, Ravens-Patriots on the Sunday, which in previous years was an utter, utter can't miss. You have to watch it. And then Minnesota and Chicago. Got, like, again, Minnesota-Chicago a week from next Monday, Nat, that is one where you're like, let me know how it worked out. Give me 10 <laughs> minutes of highlights. Snip, snip. Because yeah. if I'm invested for, for nine hours on Sunday, I'm not sure I can give three yeah. and a half yeah. to Minnesota-Chicago starting at 1.15 a.m. Tuesday morning. 
I think Thursday Night Football is the best, the best of the pick of that, that, that bunch, actually. It, it's so true, yeah. though. It's a great point you make in terms of those comparisons. I, I remember being at the New York Super Bowl and watching, and I, in fact, I ran into me, I ran into me the other day at, at, uh, at the BT Sports Studios when I was recording the, uh, the BBC highlight show. Stephen Booth, who, who now runs the, the football show over there at BT, he was our producer for the uh, Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl, the New York one, back in, what, 2014. And we, he's a Chelsea fan, West Ham, of course I am, as you know. Uh, we watched a, a, a drab nil-nil uh, draw between the two in a an Irish bar in Manhattan at about eleven thirty in the morning. So that's kind of the, I guess, the closest that we get the other way. I think I think the best scenario, Nat, and I know I know you're eyeing this long term is the idea of doing sports on the west coast of either Canada or the United States seems like the dream. Now, the only struggle there is your 3 p.m. your 3 p.m. Uh, football matches in your country will come on at 7 a.m. That is the mm-hmm. and, and then you'll even have Man United Everton the other morning would have been on starting at 430 a.m. But guess what? It's already started. You can, you know, roll through it. If you don't love it, you can fast forward a bit. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of the live thing, I've always said being on the west coast of, uh, of, of North America. America seems like the ideal place to consume sports on an international basis. It's not, it's not England and it's not, it's not the Eastern time zone here in Toronto. Uh, we're, we're way too blurry. Brady already that. dropping the big hot takes. It's not England. Uh, <laughs> that's five minutes. All right. Let's look at how the Saints did this then because yeah. it, it, difficult to know where to start really, it, it, by which I mean, of course, this impressive offense that uh, we went into this game I guess pretty much uniformly believing that the Bucks were a top three defense in the NFL, quite possibly the best defense in the NFL. We also went in with one of the, the fundamentals of this season, we're being told. Drew Brees' last season, his deep ball's definitely gone. Now, we knew he had Michael Thomas and Sanders back. And even if you remove that individual productivity, 12 Saints incidentally, incidentally catching passes, Thomas didn't really do that much in terms of our productivity, but he's in the mix. You've got to consider him there. Sanders, of course, uh, stepped up and, uh, and had a more uh, rounded involvement individually. But you've got to cater for both of them. But it's almost as if Peyton and Brees were just playing with us, thinking, well, we've got this far and handled our season at five and two going into this game pretty competently, despite the fact we've had two of our biggest offensive pieces missing. Didn't really need them. We'll just carve you up in so many different ways. It was an absolute masterclass from Peyton, wasn't it? It was. And, uh, and yeah, the game plan that is one they were ready for. I, I don't think we can, you know, I don't think we can have big opinions right now on, on the out coaching factor, but, but it did factor in. I mean, look, there's 32 teams. They play 16 regular season games a year. You have to figure that several times a season, even the best coaches go home and go, the other guy did a little bit better than me today. That's even during wins. You might outcoach somebody in a loss and feel that way uh, and right. go, I, I did better today. I kept our team closer. I think Carolina and, and what Matt Rule did uh, on uh, on Sunday against Kansas City, I think he came in with a game plan, stuck to it, and, and they gave the Chiefs everything they could handle and then some, uh, leading to an onside kick with, with you know 59 minutes played in a 60-minute game. But to your point last night, yeah, it all just worked for New Orleans. And and now they have this massive advantage, obviously, having beaten Tampa Bay twice. Still, at right. the end of the day, it's almost like an extra win. It's, it's It really is having that asterisk by your name because any sort of tie break goes to New Orleans and not Tampa. And think about the distinction there. 
that could be the, that's the difference, obviously, between a first round buy and playing the first week. That's the difference between maybe three home games in the play, or rather two home games if you get that buy, I should say, and one home game if you're Tampa Bay and you can't catch up, let alone the fact that the Buccaneers would have loved, think about what they would have loved, home advantage set up perfectly for a hometown home stadium Super Bowl as right. well. And we're a long way off from that. And and we even, you know, let's face it, we even aren't sure if the Super Bowl date is staying the same uh, as we're at about the halfway point of the season. A lot of moving parts with coronavirus, a lot of moving parts with the schedule and whether they bubble in the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, there wasn't one thing Tampa Bay did better than New Orleans last night. They didn't hang on to the ball better. They didn't get first downs better. They didn't end up readjusting at halftime uh, any better. Um, and the score, if anything, um, it, look, New Orleans isn't flattered by a 38-3 score line, but New Orleans certainly taking the foot off the gas, giving you know Jameis Winston a possession, running the that. ball a ton that. more. Um, they, if they needed more points, they were available to them. They just chose not to take those opportunities. It was a blowout. Well, Jared Cook, of course, you know, coughing it up in the red zone. It could have been. It could have been even worse. Offensively, yeah. remarkable performance, and demonstrating, I think, this challenge this counter to the argument that a team can't win the Super Bowl if the quarterback doesn't have the deep ball. If that quarterback is Drew Brees, and we've talked about this a fair bit because it, it's apparent that Brees doesn't have it. Uh, you can be a contending team, you can be a playoff team, but are you going to be able to beat the very best defenses in the league in a big game? Now, this isn't a playoff game, but this was prime time. This was Sunday night football. Everybody was big on the box going into this game. They were clear favorites going into this game. And as you rightly say, this was a complete mismatch, a one-sided blowout. But of course, it takes two sides of the team to deliver that. Let's talk about the Saints' defense and just how impressive the D was against this Bucks offense, in particular pressure. So Saints pressurizing Brady 32 times in total. So that's across both games this season, right? So last night uh, and uh, the uh, week one game. That makes up 37% of his total pressures after nine weeks PFF uh, outlining that stat. Uh, talk about finding a blueprint. That's exactly what the Saints have done, the personnel to execute it. He was completely discombobulated. Well, he was. And, and, and unusual as well in that New Orleans has not been exactly a team that's championed takeaways this year. Right. Uh, not in the least. They've, they've now got seven interceptions total in eight games. You can look back. They had a takeaway against the Bears the week before. Uh, and and I, obviously that, that affected the perception that you and I and a lot of others had about this game. That affected certainly the uh, the betting line is the fact that they struggled uh, to beat a Bears team um, that is really having a tough time you know, getting first downs, let alone getting in a field goal range and scoring touchdowns. But the previous previous two games against Carolina, no takeaways. The L.A. Chargers, a game they just squeaked by again in overtime. Um, in uh, I guess we've almost got to, we'll get to that, I'm sure, but an adjective that has to get into Webster's Dictionary is Charger-esque um, because there's a certain <laughs> way to lose football games and the one franchise seems to have mastered it above the other 31. So yeah, it's it, it was very much about what New Orleans did on the defensive side of the ball that, that we couldn't see coming because they've been mostly in shootouts all year. Um, you know, kind of a shootout against the Raiders in their first loss. The loss against Green Bay in New Orleans at the Superdome 
uh, was a was a shootout loss, a 37-30 defeat. So mm-hmm. there's a lot there, and no doubt, I'm sure the players, some of the real vets on that team, the Malkin Jenkins, the the Demario Davises, that they've heard that boy. You know, if you guys could just step up, the offense isn't what it used to be. Drew Brees used to be um, what he is not anymore, and and there has to be a level of of stepping up uh, a few stairs and and climbing and and carrying the team. Now, look, they didn't need the defense to be as great as they were last night, but it certainly put the outcome of the game uh, very much not in doubt a lot earlier than it would be otherwise. Um, and, I, and I'd come back as well to Brady. There will be a lot of we, – we have to learn our lesson, uh, Nat, with Tom Brady. He isn't done. He isn't finished. But we're going to see more. What we've seen this year and what we saw late last year, notably the playoff loss to the Tennessee Titans – is a quarterback that we just got so used to doing it every single week, every week, every Sunday, every Monday, every time he played, he, he, you know, he played to a certain standard. And now we're seeing um, a 43 year old quarterback have some inconsistencies um, that he didn't otherwise have. He was magic against the Raiders two weeks ago. He was brilliant out dueling Aaron Rodgers three weeks ago, but this looked more like the Tom Brady that, that struggled in the Thursday night game against the Bears or had his moments in the second half against New Orleans in their first matchup. So I don't read too much into it, but it does tell Buccaneers fans this isn't going to be uh, smooth sailing all the way to an easy 12-13 win season. Mm. Uh, a lot of how you go will be how Tom Brady goes on a weekly basis. He'll play better next week. I'm quite yeah. sure of it. Yeah, that's a, it's a very, very astute point that we know better than to, to completely overreact. And if you look at, for example, the, the Saints secondary, which has been erratic and indifferent this season, a player like Marshawn Lattimore, who is undoubtedly mm-hmm. incredibly talented, but has not necessarily lived up to, to, to that billing in recent times, played out of his skin, you know? And th- so there was very much an element of that. This was the Saints at their absolute peak. And, and clearly the Bucks weren't. Just pulling out a few key stats to underpin the latter, uh, Tampa running the ball five times that that entire game, five times they ran the ball, uh, which is extraordinary and really stood out. Uh, They went one of nine on third down. So this was an all round abject performance. And none of these things can build negative momentum, if that's even a thing, (laughs) but as things start to unravel and certainly the rate at which the Saints are putting up the points that we knew this game was done by halftime, whatever, whatever Al and Chris were trying to tell us, there's of course things even under the stewardship of someone like Brady and, and, and the vets in that, in that Tampa side, these things do just run away from you and everything, everything gets missed. But that was, uh, those were two things that really stood out. No ground game whatsoever. What do you make of Antonio Brown? He didn't do a huge amount. He had three catches for 31 yards. Uh, but based on the, the small sample size, what did you make of Brown? I think they're going to make him uh, an integral part of the offense. I think he does something that quite, you know, uniquely no other Tampa Bay player does. We know, you know, Mike Evans is the speedster. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Godwin is more the, you know, underneath guy at, at just six foot one. But, you know, if Brown, I think Brown is going to be somebody that uh, Tom Brady does not bring him in. And, yes, obviously he had input. Um, you know, no one would believe otherwise that it's just an organizational decision or it's or it's Bruce Arians call. But, uh, you know, it, the fact that Antonio Brown was on the field last night contributing, 
Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a slow burn here to see where this indeed goes. Remember, when you fall out of favor uh, with, with Brady in New England, um, and it's not arbitrary, I'm sure there was always consultations with Bill, Bill Belichick, but remember how much Randy Moss started not right. to be utilized before all of a sudden snap of a finger, right. he's traded, um, you know, uh, to, I think, with the Tennessee Titans at the time before he went. Did he go to Minnesota, back to Minnesota first, or, and then to Tennessee? That was a weird year. I remember doing on radio with Neil Reynolds his first game as a Tennessee Titan in Miami but I can't remember if he went from Minnesota to Tennessee first. I think he did, didn't he? Neil Reynolds' first game as a Tennessee Titan. <laughs> he went to, yeah, he Randy went to Moss' Min- first game as a Tennessee Titan. But, but Moss, yeah. am I remembering he this right? To, he Moss? went to the Vikings and then the Titans. Yeah, he went to yeah. he left he, When he left, and I remember at the time the Patriots, we, I was talking with Nink about this, uh, Rob Ninkovich, when he was on the show a few weeks ago. Hmm. As I, I went into the story in depth, I'll the brief version, but you like, Greg, with your love of football. It was around <laughs> the time that Rooney and Ferguson were having problems over here, right? And the, the contrast was really, really stark in the way that Belichick uh, and the Patriots just cut, pulled the cord and let Randy Moss go, whereas it was almost the, the diametric opposite here in terms of how United were placating Rooney despite his uh, very vocal, uh, disenfranchised vibe. So really interesting. But he went to, yeah, he went to Minnesota and then bounced to Tennessee in the same year. Yeah. Very, very strange stuff. But, uh, but I think about that with Antonio. So, uh, and, and mm. there have been other wide receivers as well. Dante Stallworth was one uh, with New England. And look, we saw the relationship yeah. blossom at times with Tom Brady and Josh Gordon. There was a reason Josh Gordon got multiple opportunities with the New England Patriots uh, because Tom Brady saw him as an important cog to the offense. So, uh, you know, I think he's going to contribute, Nat. I think uh, I, I don't know about the confidence of of the off-field stuff, and, and I'm sure we're all, uh, you know, quote-unquote troubled by uh, some of the accusations that still exist, that still have yet to be borne out uh, against Antonio Brown. He is absolutely entitled um, to, you know, fair jurisprudence and and and, and fair uh, treatment in the court system, but that doesn't mean you have to hire him, and I don't think there's any other group except the Buccaneers because of Tom Brady's urging that we're considering um, such a move. He'd obviously been hanging out for a good chunk of time in which a lot of teams could have could have made that acquisition, but as a pure football player, since that's what we're talking about, I I, I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's going to have a minimal impact in this Mm. offense, how much he plays and how much he gets targeted. It's probably up to how hard he works. Okay, let's move on to so many games to talk about some absolute thrillers, including the Miami-Arizona game in the later window, of which we were a little bit skeptical, weren't we, uh, as to mm-hmm. the entertainment value with the, the games they looked on paper, but they were, they were all really, really compelling. And, and this was the one that stood out for, for obvious reasons going into it with Tua against Kyler, two uh, of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league, although with Tua still up until... Uh, up until about, well, where are we? 12, 14 hours ago, UK time. Unsure, uh, based on what we'd seen so far, a pretty indifferent start in his first game as an NFL quarterback. Really, really moved forwards in this one. He looked clutch when he needed to. He got better as the game went on, Greg. I'm still absolutely love watching a Southpaw quarterback, and it's great there. He's mm-hmm. seemingly going to be one in the league for a good few years to come. Uh, but it was tit for tat, and they were going uh, backwards and forwards. Kyler's involvement in this game, not to be underestimated, really, really thrilling stuff. And of course, if Zane Gonzalez had, had knocked that 49ers through, then mm, we might be talking uh, about a different situation here. But the, the Finns now improving to five and three, and all of, uh, I can work out anyway, the majority of the NFL uh, UK family uh, Twitter sphere in the uh, this morning so far has been about wow the dolphins are back this is exciting the playoffs here we come is it we're getting a little bit carried away do you think 
A, a touch, but I, I thought this was an important benchmark game. And had they lost, I think, uh, you know, Dolphins Nation would have been absolutely well within their rights to look at it and say, we're not there yet. This is a year of transition. It's been a quarterback uh, job of transition just to move as, as they did from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua just in the last couple of weeks. And, and you documented how, uh, you know, the numbers aren't fantastic for the, the Rams game. A, you're playing Aaron Donald and B, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you didn't need, he didn't need to do very much by the fourth quarter uh, with some of the Rams mistakes and some of the effectiveness of Miami's defense. And, right. and yeah, you laid it out. Uh, I thought astutely in that that game could have just turned on the one turnover, the Kyler Murray fumble. If that's a two of fumble and not a Kyler Murray fumble, there only was the one turnover in the game. But we had a we had a lot of excitement. I know there were a couple of people, you know, laying out there that it's really too bad that uh, as it's, as it's structured right now, these quarterbacks would only play in the same game once every four years, based on not being in the same division, not being in the same conference. But it was it was a ton of fun, and that's where the you know that's where the NFL is at right now. I don't know of an era. Of course, it's a quarterback driven league. Um, but I don't know of an era where you've got so many exciting young quarterbacks. When you run down the schedule, it's just you, you check all the boxes. You're like, oh, great. You know, um, uh, Joe Burrow's playing in this one. Awesome. Justin Herbert's in this game. And there's still veteran quarterbacks that obviously excite us. Uh, but but even even yesterday, the game we, we had a lot of emphasis on uh, on, on the radio side was was Russell Wilson and Josh Allen. You know, mm-hmm. almost two almost two different generations of quarterback. Wilson's not that old, but Allen's only in his third year as a starter. Yeah, I look at Miami and and I I think that they're a little more advanced than I thought they would be. There's some consistency with the running game. Tua adds to that. Seven carries, 35 yards. uh, And that was vital. It's exactly what Murray's done in Arizona is is de-emphasize the need to have that sort of traditional horse in the backfield, a Jerome Bettis or Ricky Williams carrying the ball 24 times a game. You don't need that uh, in the modern-day NFL if you've got quarterbacks that, that are Kyler Murray and Tua. But yeah, d- good chemistry with Devontae Parker. I think that relationship's going to flourish. I think Devontae Parker can play with anybody, but he's finding, uh, you know, not much of a snap adjustment to get with Tua. So this will be, you know, at five and three for Miami. And with that extra playoff spot that we've documented before, uh, they're in good shape. But there's a lot of teams that are going to look at Miami and say, we think we can, uh, you know, we think we can take one of those spots away from you. And that to point out, you know, they snuck into the playoffs uh, it, the, la- the last couple of times when they've been in the playoffs. There really haven't been expectations. They got just pulverized by Pittsburgh when they got in with Matt Moore when he replaced Ryan Tannehill and won a couple games down the stretch. They got pulverized a couple of times, uh, even the Chad Pennington year by the Baltimore Ravens. And they got, you know, they haven't won the playoffs in the playoffs since 2000. And it's Jay Fiedler outdueling Peyton Manning when we were still questioning whether Peyton Manning could win in the postseason or not. He'd won some games, but hadn't won big games in the playoffs. So, uh, it's been 20 plus years. So Dolphins fans, there's getting there, just sneaking in, being part of the proceedings, and there's making some noise. I think they think the, they're capable of the one. The other's going to take a few more convincing regular season wins. Just on that, and then bringing a few of those points together, was that maybe the most impressive part of, of Tua's performance yesterday? It's something we talk about a lot when we look at rookie quarterbacks and, and Peyton Manning and his rookie season f- for many years was the the blueprint for this really or the, or the best example for this that you, they're always going to be flawed to a, to a stronger or lesser degree in terms of productivity mistakes will happen the wrong decisions will be made that is just uh, logic and, and par for the course but what you're looking for is that x factor in terms of composure right and we've seen it 
absolutely with Joe Burrow. We've seen it with Herbert. You, you mentioned him as well. There was Mahomes that was apparent very early doors in his career as well. There are certain quarterbacks that straight away, irrespective of over the course of the season, in an individual game, in an individual quarter, on a drive, they're making mistakes that they won't be making in three or four years because of their inexperience and because they're adjusting to the speed and everything else. They just look like they belong. They have that moxie. They have that innate sense of calm. And Tua, uh, Kyler definitely you know, demonstrated that. Uh, but Tua looked like he had that second start of his career, Greg. For me, that was the most encouraging thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, there, there's an it factor and there's a, a calmness under fire, though you, you don't see it when the feet start moving. It, it looks like he, he's, you know, got a level of panic. But a lot of his carries, he was flushed out of the pocket, stepped up away from the pass rush, and then was able to find a hole to extend the drives. But yeah, th- this is what's happening in the NFL now. It's weird. It's It's almost a little like how you know, how fast something like the music industry moves where, you know, you've got this band and, and, you know, you're hoping to sustain some success and then you're almost flavor of the month. And then all of a sudden you're not, well, you know, you're old news. We're playing new stuff here on, uh, on, on this station and, and on this video channel, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff are two obvious examples of that. It's not even four and a half years ago. Nat, these two right. are drafted one, two Goff and Wentz. Uh, and it's almost like they're sort of, there's known commodities right now, and, and it's almost le- like that's a little less of an exciting exciting 60 minutes of football to watch with these two. And these guys can still. Jared Goff's taken a team to a Super Bowl. Carson Wentz was on an MVP you know, collision course. When he was injured, his team still went to the Super Bowl and won it in Minneapolis. So there's a lot to accomplish for these guys. I mean, they're relative kids. Jared Goff sits there, and he's 26 years old, and yet – they feel uh, a, a lot more of the veterans sort of, again, old news, old news story when compared to so many of these young, brilliant NFL quarterbacks. Sam Darnold as well is looking around going, I got to get personnel like these guys have. <laughs> uh, and with the Jets, that's asking an awful lot right now, Husima, again, on that collision course. Are we with saying 16. then essentially that Jared Goff and Carson Wentz have moved down from arenas into theaters and a couple of years they're going to be playing the 500 capacity clubs? That experimental fourth album was uh, was a bit of a mistake for both of them to release. Uh, both both <laughs> yeah. as solo artists and and as a duo, they yeah it didn't quite hit with the public uh, the way they hoped. Uh, so yeah, it, it's but it's amazing. It, it is it's it's like you've got your real you know group of vets and you're very familiar and the future Hall of Famers, Big Ben, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. But then on that second tier of quarterbacks. Uh, there's a huge, huge drop off in terms of uh, in terms of being proven commodities, but also the excitement factor. Look, Jimmy G almost feels like, well, there's still a lot to flesh out about Jimmy Garoppolo's NFL career with San Francisco. Another guy who's been to a Super Bowl really in, in his first his second full year as a starter without injury uh, Im- impeding with the San Francisco 49ers. And we almost feel like, yeah, Jimmy G, I know what he's about. Do we? These, these guys are 26, 27 years old. See, what they've got to do is take a book, uh, take a leap out of Sean uh, McDermott's book and in the same way that a recording artist will be matched with another one who has maybe got a bit more X factor about them and that will propel the, the, the song up the charts. So they're kind of featuring, you know, featuring Drake or something uh, to, to push him up. That's what they did with Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, right? That's essentially what, what they did there. They brought in, uh, they brought in the big guns and uh, it, let's move there next. Although actually the final line I want to make on just because uh, on the Dolphins-Cardinals game. Shout out to Mac Hollins. Mac Hollins, of course, who is a special teamer most of the time, had a big moment, great touchdown for him. And 
we love Matt Collins around these parts, Greg Brady, because a couple of years back when he was a Philadelphia Eagle, came over as one of the players that was brought over uh, for promo the international series games and we did the big summer uh, event where lots of media are there and you meet the players it was a really fun outdoor and with lots of flag football going around I brought my two little boys to that and mm. Matt Collins was an absolute gent and in particular flossed uh, as in Fortnite, the game and the floss dance flossed uh, with both my kids on camera, uh, uh, which made their year, let alone, <laughs> let alone that day. And he, uh, let me tell you, he had some moves, Greg Brady. I mean, I've seen you on the dance floor. Oh, you sure. Can definitely, you can definitely cut a few numbers, but this was an altogether different level. So he was a stand-up gent. So I want to salute you, Matt Collins. Always liked you. And I'm glad. Now, did, he, did he still have the hair then? Was he rolling with the full yeah. on? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, still, he had the hair. He had the, he had, he had a kind of, I think he, because he was an eagle, he had, green in there and he's certainly I'm trying to remember I have to dig out the video and have a look at it but it was impressive he's definitely been one of those Coco Crisp-esque uh, pulling out different yeah. uh, but always impressive barnets uh, so uh, yeah love that let's talk about Josh Allen then and Stefan Diggs uh, and let's throw John Brown into the mix as well because he had a big game what a performance from the Buffalo Bills taking down the Seahawks and it was we talk about the one-sided nature of the Saints-Bucks game it wasn't obviously to that degree, but for a long time, it felt like that. I mean, the, the way the Bills started the game explosively, it just kept on keeping on. And the Seahawks, it was interesting, Greg, because it was one of the games we were doing on radio. And of course, it was one of the, the main events. So we kept going back to it. And it was fascinating when you look at the pregame narratives. One of them was, well, you can pass on this Seahawks defense. They absolutely demonstrated they could do that. The other part of the D was, mm, we're struggling to get any pass rush. They're going to struggle to get. Well, that wasn't the case. They were absolutely bringing the pass rush successfully, dialing it up, Jamal Adams in particular, uh, going and breaking through that line time and time again. But it didn't matter. It didn't seem to matter at all. Brilliant performance individually from Josh Allen and a statement win for the Bills. Yeah, uh, and the two and a half sacks by Jaron Reed, uh, you know, the amount of sacks combined, uh, uh, like the same amount of sacks as incompletions, and you win the football wow. game. How, mu- how many times does that happen that you are sacked as often as you throw an incompletion? And obviously no turnovers uh, for Josh Allen. Uh, never made the bad pass at the bad time that, uh, that gave the Seahawks a short field. Never, uh, you know, turned the ball over in a, in a fumble situation. So, yeah, it, it was one of those games where I think Buffalo made a, you know, we overuse the phrase statement game. But what else, what else could we possibly call it uh, with the Bills mm-hmm. playing well on both sides of the football? And I know people would say, come on, 34 points. That's the nature of, of playing against a team with an explosive offense, a team very used to coming from behind. But we also mentioned it yesterday, uh, on Sunday with regard to Seattle's ability to come from behind. Without, a, without sort of that run-pass option and the struggles that they've had, keeping Carson healthy, keeping their entire running game healthy, Russell Wilson, really, we thought maybe there'd be plays by design for Russell Wilson to run with. Not in the least. He had two carries for five yards, and they both were sort of emergency carries, if you will, mm-hmm. to get himself out of trouble, avoid a sack, and and hope that he could you know gain forward progress rather than throwing the incompletion. So it's weird. I don't want to take anything away from Buffalo, but I thought that said more about Seattle and where they're at and the things Russell Wilson needs to be, and he is just human sometimes, but the things that Russell Wilson has been at many occasions on many occasions this year for the 2020 Seattle Seahawks that they're asking him to be every single week. Whereas in previous iterations of the Seahawks, when you're talking Legion of boom, boom, when you're talking Michael Bennett and Richard Sherman and the like, 
Um, you know, there he, he can leave the field after a poor possession. He can even leave the field after a turnover and know his defense has got his back. It's not looking that way for the 2020 Seahawks right now. He, he was uncharacteristic in terms of in terms of turnovers. So had two picks and two lost fumbles. The Tre'Davious White one in particular, which was what third and third and twenty something, right? It was a it was a, 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 a very very untypical Russell Wilson play. I, I think the positive thing in particular, I take your point that let's not necessarily overreact it to the Bills win here and the concerns about the Seahawks D mm. are not new. We, 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 as we said, we went into this game knowing that you can pass on them. I think the question was, could, can Josh Allen do it? Particularly the form Josh Allen has been in recently, right? Going into the game, the early season form that we saw had all but disappeared. Uh, there were back-to-back, maybe even three straight games where they were passing for just over 200 yards. He lost his rhythm a lot of the time. It, the inaccuracy issues were coming back. It, it looked as though there'd been a significant regression. And I think that's the most... Uh, assured I've seen Josh Allen maybe ever, irrespective of how bad the defense that he was playing against was, he was absolutely on point with those throws. And I mean, look at the numbers don't lie, right? 31 of 38, 415 yards, three scores, uh, and a monster quarterback rating to, to boot. And the fact that we were weighing up because the Bills ran it on New England, beat New England on yeah. the ground. They didn't want to risk it. And that was a game that Gilmore wasn't even playing in, right? And they didn't want to risk it against... Uh, 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 the, the Patriots secondary that was depleted didn't want to risk Allen's arm. Were they going to do more of the same? Well, that was uh, the first drive answered our question and they kept on giving him the rock and he kept on taking care of business. I think that is really, really uh, reassuring for the Bills when we're looking at contenders and the AFC East are very winnable for them irrespective of the, the Dolphins' resurgence. Big win for them because if that had been the opposite, say the Bills had ground out a win here, Right, uh, mm-hmm. but Allen had had another lackluster performance. You'd be looking down the straight and thinking, mm, "We're not even if we squeak into the playoffs, either by winning the East with nine and seven, ten and six, or a wild card. We're not going to do any damage." Now you see a performance like that, and you're confident that the big change they made to this offense in the off season, the addition of Diggs, the progression of of Josh Allen. They're legit. They 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 have to be taken as legit. Not overreacting to one game, Greg, but you have to look at that performance in totality and think they're a legit playoff team. Well, yeah. And again, as we said, 14 teams are going to make it out of 32. Almost half the league is making the playoffs this year. First time you can truly say that. And there's been, been some good teams that probably would have made noise, that made a late run and always fell short of playoffs. They expanded from five to six teams in the conference in 1990. So we've really had three decades of understanding, you know, what what the composition of a playoff team is. Um, but the right. distinction between can you get there and, and as we said earlier, can you make the noise when you get there? And I think you, you make the point about the Stefan Diggs acquisition. Uh, it was the right time to dive into that pool and, and trade for a player that, that may have, you know, not necessarily outlived his welcome in Minnesota, but that was looking for a new challenge. If anything, obviously, uh, that's, dis- that's a bad day for Kirk Cousins when he finds out uh, the Vikings have traded Stefan Diggs. But remember, they did this with at a time when it wasn't the right time to do it. And that's when they acquired Sammy Watkins and they went all in on, on trading, uh, you know, for Sammy Watkins so they could draft him and, uh, and look at, look at where they were at the time. EJ Manuel at quarterback, Tyrod Mm -hmm. Taylor at quarterback, other guys that just weren't ready uh, to take the bills to the proper places. Their defense wasn't fixed at that point. And, And this is sort of the, 
um, the Rex Ryan era of the, of the Bills as far as coaching goes. It just it just seemed a little bit discombobulated, and and it, it just looked like Rex was not the right. Maybe he wasn't the right guy for any team at that time. Everyone's mm-hmm. time eventually runs out, but but certainly Rex and Buffalo that was not a marriage that uh, that seemed for the long term. But when you invest that much draft capital um, and tr- or, uh, trade to go up in the draft as Buffalo did to go get Watkins fourth overall you better be a lot more ready to win than the Bills were. They go get digs, and they've already got the quarterback, the best quarterback the franchise has had since Jim Kelly. No question about it. So we're talking about a team that, that you know made its transaction and, and dove into that big pool at the right time to go get an elite wide receiver. All right, let's move on because there are so many other games I want to I get your take on. Uh, the Steelers getting it done ugly against the Cowboys. Here's a question for you. Next season, Greg Brady, look into your crystal ball and cast your mind forward nine or so months however many months it is you got four players I'm going to give you Garrett Gilbert Dak Prescott Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott who's starting for the Cowboys next season out of those four well, I don't think Prescott's going to be ready for opening day. That's the weird one, isn't it? Is uh, is I think Dak Prescott's still Dallas's quarterback of the future. Of course he is, but is is he going to be able to rehab that injury in time to be an effective quarterback in week one? Zeke Elliott is a really interesting case study here. Um, you know, we mentioned that Wentz Goff draft. There he is, a top five pick. Not very in vogue to take a running back top top five. But you get a big, like, look, Jacksonville had no regrets after their first year of Leonard Fournette. They really didn't. They really didn't. He was great for them. And you just expected him to get better and better. That was a player, don't forget, some people said you could sit out your senior season, avoid injury, because quarterbacks have done this, but he would have been almost the first running back to say, I'm not going to play. I know I'm going top five. I know my future is assured in the NFL. And obviously, some of it might be, uh, you know, some of it might be wear and tear. Some of it seems to be uh, some of the dysfunction in Jacksonville. There's a lot of reasons why it didn't work out for Leonard Fournette as a Jag. But when you bring up Ezekiel Elliott to me, I think there's a guy, again, who's had some, you know, off-field bad decisions. Uh, and the Cowboys, I feel like sooner or sooner than later, are going to end up questioning his his commitment. I couldn't tell you who the starting quarterback would be um, because they got Andy Dalton, and I thought it was a real smart transaction at the yep. time. And that D- Dalton was never injured in Cincinnati, basically, until that last season. Almost never hurt. And even when he was that last year in 2019, Bengals fans were like, well... We've probably it's probably time to move on. He got us to the playoffs a few times. We've probably seen the very best Andy Dalton can give us as a franchise, as a starter, as a guy that could win ten or eleven games on a consistent yep. basis. Let's let's turn the page. Um, but that's a different story for what Dallas wanted him for. They were it was strict insurance in case Dak Prescott, who'd barely ever been hurt in the NFL, did end up getting hurt. And what happens in mid September? He gets hurt, and for the rest of the season, so couldn't have gone worse for Dallas in those departments. It's a really, really well put. Zeke said maybe the biggest concern of all, right? Even in a, an era where, you know, running backs are interchangeable, we're led to believe, and, and the value, and this is the concern, I guess, with Elliott paying him so much. And we've seen it before, a cautionary tale of when players get paid, quite often their productivity goes down, right? Fourth consecutive game, Elliott has had less than 65 yards, no touchdowns. I threw Pollard in because Pollard was more effective on the day again, right? And Garrett Gilbert, fair look, obviously tongue-in-cheek in terms of his long-term future in Dallas, but certainly outperformed the noosh in terms of these young quarterbacks making their, their Dallas starts and, and, and gave it a go, Garrett Gilbert, that's for sure. But it is worrying times for the Cowboys. That said, 
we were chatting about this uh, in the studio last night. I can't remember whether we, it was something we talked about on air or not. So <laughs> apologies if it yeah. was. Those those broadcasts go pop by in a blur. I think we were. We were talking <laughs> about the possible head coaching gigs going into next season. And McCarthy's, it's unlikely he's going to be one and done, right? But if Dallas was on the table, how attractive a destination, a landing spot would that be? And uh, to, to underpin that a little bit, to give a bit more context, assuming that Dak is fit, assuming that Zeke can get sorted out, or that at least they're, they're not going to get a good deal for him and, that, and they paid him the money, so they're not going to cut and run. Uh, and he gets yeah. back to something like his former self. You've got Gallup, you've got Cooper, you've got some really exciting pieces there, but you don't have a defense. So is it one of those situations where you, you stack up big in the draft and have three, four, five picks that are defensively minded and you'll get enough balance there and actually Dallas could be an exciting team again quickly or do you think mm, the worm has turned and this could be a good couple of years before they're contenders again no I don't I don't think this is a long wait uh, I think this is uh, is something where it's a uh, it's a blip on the radar it does show a few more holes than perhaps their uh, their most diehard fans thought but uh, and I think Mike McCarthy is uh, uh, there's nothing I think that could transpire with Mike McCarthy that would not see him be head coach of the Cowboys for 2021 I, I don't think this is a Freddie Kitchen scenario uh, transpiring or I know the Dolphins and Jets have moved quickly on coaches uh, in the last, uh, you know, really the last 15, 20 years. There have been some one and dones there. Cam Cameron, uh, the uh, yeah. famous Dolphins coach who brought over uh, Miami to Wembley for that first game in 2007 and was uh, was excited about it. But no, I, and I think some of that is, is who McCarthy is not, but some of it's also what you've just seen with maybe uh, too much of a loyalty factor to Jason Garrett. Now, Jason Garrett did get the Cowboys into the playoffs five of their 10 years, but oftentimes fans looked and said, they've got the roster. They've got a, you know, a good enough quarterback uh, quarterbacks of equal ability to Tony Romo and, and later. Yeah. Dak Prescott are getting as far in the playoffs, if not further, or they're just playing making the playoffs or going further. So I, I, I don't think Dallas uh, has much to do to tweak. And I can tell you, you know, there's Cowboys fans in my life, in, in my existence, that, you know, they're willing to take the foot off the gas for this year. They're willing to see where this goes. They're almost of a, um, you know, a, a concept that to tank at this particular point and get into that top five, maybe even the top three for a draft pick is not the worst thing in the world. Look, that, that, that would have been something had they beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers in that game. But I would assure you there are Cowboys fans that are just fine with that particular result. That uh, I know the Steelers and Cowboys, it's a rivalry game because of Super Bowls past, not because of geography or fighting for the same things, but just the fact that they've met in the Super Bowl three different times. Um, and those are you know teams that were always good when we were kids, the Cowboys and Steelers. So it, it means a lot. The TV networks love games like that. But there's Dallas fans that are totally cool with a 3-13, and 4-12 and 12 season at the end of this year. As long as all the parts are brought back, you keep the consistency, and you're ready to go next September. Well, the Steelers got it done, as I say, ugly against this, irrespective of what the future holds. Clearly a banged up and fractious Dallas side uh, who were in the lead for a lot of the game. The Steelers, though, get it done the hard way. They moved to 8-0 for the first time in franchise history, which is saying something given uh, the remarkable and storied history of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the only unbeaten team in the NFL. And as we're talking about playoffs, uh, we're getting nearer to that playoff picture. Got to remind uh, everybody out there, different dynamic, of course, if you're the number one seed overalls, never been more important to land the one overall seed because of that playoff expansion. That's the only way you're going to guarantee home field advantage. And the Steelers uh, locking that in at the moment 
in the AFC. Let's talk uh, a few other games. The Chargers, Raiders, another heartbreaker, as you mentioned a little bit earlier on, I think, uh, Greg, for, for the Chargers. And of course, the positives, Justin Herbert looking uh, looking strong again, 28 of 42, over 300 yards, two more touchdowns uh, for him. But it was uh, 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 once again, as you said, finding new ways to lose games. The Chargers keep on <laughs> rewriting uh, the ends to games that you think are not possible that they're going to lose this one and somehow it is taken away from them. We know this about the Chargers. They've been like, they were like this for most of Philip Rivers in that era. They've carried on doing it despite the change. It is just seemingly one of those things that we probably will never be able to truly work out. More importantly, I want to talk about the Raiders and how, in the context of some of the chats we've been having on today's show, how viable a playoff contender they are because they seem to be, Greg, to me, one of those teams. And there's a collection of them up at the Rams in this conversation as well. Very difficult to work out. One week to the next, and every team has good days and bad days, but they seem to be significantly different week on week. And even a player like Derek Carr, who is the check down king, we're told, yeah. is airing out the deep stuff and showing us what actually he can be a potent part of an explosive offense. Really hard to figure out these guys. They're they're a tough team to figure out only because of the yeah the inconsistency week to week uh, is a bit troubling. They've got it, it's funny you say that they've got the exact same point differential a minus eleven that the LA Chargers have. The Chargers are two and six and the and the Raiders are five and three. But when they've lost, they've looked really dreadful doing it. And and you obviously can isolate the Tampa Bay loss forty five to twenty uh, a couple Sundays ago. And uh, and obviously they didn't look great in New England when we still wondered whether New England was really viable as a, you know, an AFC East division winner or, and they sure don't look at now. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I, I do like the Raiders a good chunk more than a few of their, uh, a few of, of their contemporaries in the standings right now. I like the Raiders more than I like the Indianapolis Colts. I like them more than the Cleveland Browns. I probably like them more than the Miami Dolphins all told because that Derek Carr is that proven commodity. Love the ad of Henry Ruggs. Uh, I wish there was, you know, more opportunity for Ruggs to get, uh, to get thrown to. Yesterday was sort of, you know, very much uh, a quiet day for, uh, for Henry Ruggs all told. But, uh, but yeah, Josh Jacobs in the backfield. I, I just think Aguilar is a veteran receiver. I think there's enough there for the Oakland Raiders. Look, I'm, I, you can think two things at the same time. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. The John Gruden <laughs> contract, ridiculous. Ten years, ridiculous. Uh, John Gruden adjusting to the modern NFL from 2017 forward. That aspect is getting a little, or 2018 forward. That's getting a little bit better. It is. Um, uh, you know, he'll still have his, his Chucky moments that we'll all, uh, you know, react to and say, why this, why that? But I do think the Raiders are a little more buttoned down than they were last year at this time and, and certainly a couple years ago at this time. I think it took them some time to recover from the whole Antonio Brown debacle at training camp. Uh, being on hard knocks is never uh, an awesome thing, even though John Gruden doesn't mind being on the cameras. We're well aware and it's been well documented, but I'm a big Raiders guy here. I, they're not a personal favorite of mine. I've never been a Raiders fan, but I just think this team has a little something, and, and I see it as a 10-win team that's easily going to make it into the playoffs. Probably start on the road, wildcard weekend, but, uh, but it's, it's getting back to somewhere where they just haven't been in a while. Yeah, uh, line looked good as well, didn't it? So I think uh, I think that they're uh, there or thereabouts. The Ravens had a bounce back win against the Colts. In the end, the scoreline uh, may be flattering. Fourteen point uh, win, twenty four ten, the final. And 
it wasn't plain sailing. Of course, going into the game, they were significantly impacted by COVID. So Marlon Humphrey was out and other uh, defenders as a result of the COVID precaution missing as well. But it didn't seem to affect the defense at all. Was that because they played such a strong game or was it because the Colts were, were wildly indifferent offensively, do you think? Colts were a little bit of a letdown and I am uh, talking about things I'm not in on people I'm not in on right now uh, and it's got nothing to do with the person it's it's who the player is now and that's Philip Rivers I'm just not seeing uh, a guy that's going to be you know effective down the stretch and I thought he might fatigue as the season goes on and and I think we're seeing it it is asking a lot of Philip Rivers look at the pass attempts just in the last four games 43 against the Ravens 33 against the Lions 44 against the Bengals 33 against the Browns. Two of those are wins. Two of those are losses. But this is not the quarterback you want anymore uh, in a shootout. This is not the guy, uh, clearly, you know, very limited mobility. That's not what he's there for is to, is to scramble out of trouble. But it's not to make the big mistake. Uh, I, thought the, I thought the Colts were victimized by some play calling, uh, some decision making. We talked about good coaches having bad days. To mm-hmm. me yesterday, I, I saw that with Frank Reich. I, I, I did not understand down two scores, the decision to go for it uh, on, a, on a fourth and inches with a chip shot field goal there and still a ton of game to play. Now you're ch- when you don't get it, you're chasing the points for the last six minutes of the football game. But but to the Ravens, I, I think uh, I think they're a steady group. And yeah, besieged by some COVID issues and besieged by some other injuries. Um, if anything, I, I really think the big question mark for the Ravens has just got to be when January comes around, how's Lamar Jackson going to play in the playoffs? And we can't answer that next week or the week after or the week after that. We've talked about that with Peyton Manning on the, on on this uh, on this podcast. Is that is that you're just get, you got to see it to believe it sometimes. And Lamar Jackson needs to get to the playoffs, have the Raiders be fit, healthy, ready to go, and he has to outplay his contemporary, whoever it is. And he hasn't done that so far in two playoff games. That's just the biggest factor as to whether the Ravens can go somewhere or not. Yeah, it's it, it, gonna gonna be over. Uh, he hang over his head, and, and we we've seen with Romo and other talented players, it just becomes. Uh, it becomes a, a perpetual thing and of course therefore adds to become self-perpetuating almost you know year on year if you're making the playoffs and not getting the win the pressure gets even more and that you could argue can get in the head and, and maybe impact the performance and, and affect it it is uh, by no means the Lamar we were seeing last season uh, so far anyway and last week in particular uh, the Steelers uh, played him and played the Ravens incredibly well but it was I guess from a positive point of view for the Ravens uh, a very Jekyll and Hyde performance and ending uh, uh, on a, a positive. The second half from Jackson, 10 out of 10, throwing the ball 119 uh, through the F43 on the ground as well. Uh, so uh, uh, rallying despite an indifferent first half, showing that mental strength in, in what was a key game. because so they posted back-to-back defeats and all of us thought they might go down against the Colts. Then we'd be starting to ask serious questions about the validity of this Ravens side, but they get the win. Des Bryant, incidentally, uh, made his NFL uh, comeback and we, Greg, we've talked about the need for uh, having a, 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 a receiver that Lamar Jackson can go to and count on because Hollywood's great, but he's a burner and he's not necessarily that kind of player. That, of course, he looks to the tight ends in that respect as the comfort blanket, but he is missing, I think, that type of receiver. And Des Bryant, I guess they're rolling the dice and very, uh, very low risk there, hoping he'll become that. But it's a tall order to think Des Bryant's going to be anything close to resembling what he was six, seven years ago. A couple of others for you, Greg, before we get out of Dodge. Dalvin Cook, let's get into officially calling 
MVP discussion open because we've been uh, banning that from from this show for obvious reasons. Ludicrous to be calling MVP candidates after three or four weeks, but yeah, we're past midway in the season. I think it's fair to do that. And it's almost always a quarterback. You were telling me last night that it reminded me Lawrence Taylor's the last defensive player to, to win it, right? What about Dalvin Cook in the, at least on the short list, right? Can we have him in the top five? Because he's having an extraordinary season. 450 uh, yards or more than that in the last couple of games, six touchdowns. And it, he is driving the Vikings almost single-handedly. Isn't that the, the definition of an MVP? I think it is, but I, I wonder if you'd tell me whether the, the, the Vikings have to have a bit better win-loss record at the end of the day mm. for him to be like if, like, if he can sneak them in and he's even, you know, he's even in that neighborhood of like, we don't probably don't think we're ever going to see a 2000 yard rusher again. Uh, of course, we're probably not. But if you're, mm. if, you know, if 1800 is the new 2000 and he's in that neighborhood, Derrick Henry would be the guy though, right? There's a guy, I know he's got the extra game right now, but if Tennessee uh, rolls into the playoffs and they're a one or two seed, if he blows past Dalvin Cook, uh, um, yeah. that's going to be an intriguing race. And again, we have ne- we don't really talk about that as much anymore, do we? Like we do, you know, it's all about uh, some of the races, whether it's, you know, for, you know, leading goal scorer in the Premier League or that happens mm. all, all the time, obviously, over here in the NHL or, you know, baseball has a lot of individual races that are really intriguing. But it used to be that way with Emmett, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, and Thurman Thomas. Those would be right. the three guys, and you're – you don't know who's going to end up on top at the end of the year, but you know that all three are going to be in the top four or top five. And with running backs, man, it's, it is hard. If I told you Clyde Edwards Hilaire would be the fourth leading rusher so far this season, you'd never believe that at the start of the year because of how much Kansas City loves to throw the ball with Patrick Mahomes. So, um, and Todd Gurley, right? Bit of a bounce back season, all told. Yeah. Uh, bounce back great to see. for him in Atlanta. I'm really happy for Gurley because, uh, yeah, he was, as you say, uniformly written off, I think. Just look at the Vikings. Vikings run in, right? So they've got, it's, I think it's doable. I think the Vikings, you know, uh, a couple of really tough games in there, uh, the Saints, the Bucks specifically, right? But they've got the Bears, the Cowboys, the Panthers, the They've got the Jags. Bears twice, too. The like, Bears like twice, isn't it? The Lions? Yeah, I mean, I they said to you, the Vikings, if I, if I said, you know, they'll finish second in their division, that sounded crazy a couple of weeks ago. Mm. With the Bears quarterback issues and right. with the Lions you know, dysfunctional problems, period. What, what did they have, 10 players on the field when Dalvin Cook got his touchdown last night? That's not a great look for Matt Patricia. The number is 11, okay? It's the spinal tap. <laughs> it's not 10, it's 11. You're missing a player. So if I said to you the Vikings will be a clear and distinct second place in the division yeah. and clear with a playoff spot, I, I'm, probably, I'm probably wagering on that right now. As much as the Bears have two extra wins than they do, A, they've played an extra game, and they're headed in the wrong direction. Their defense can be as good as it wants to be, mm. but if you can't score points, and they've scored under, they've scored over twenty-five points twice this year, twice in nine games. There's teams that consistently score seven out of eight games, eight out of nine games, twenty-five points. They're going to be in big, big trouble. And guess what? We got a Bears-Vikings game as we mentioned uh, a week from Monday. Yeah, it is dysfunction high, and uh, Matt Nagy is the principal. Is all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm going to say that's the last time I ever used that analogy. The New York Jets. The New York Jets think you're v- being very kind by not referencing them in the least, <laughs> and taking a five win team and and Jacksonville and and you know hey, a couple others. Hey. To be honest, the New York Giants even still. They're at post grad level. I mean, the the, the Jets are <laughs> the Jets are that's a Masters. So, Greg, we're talking about races. Talk about awards and. There is one that is uh, already surely determined, right? 
which is comeback player of the year. With re- props and respect and honourable mention to Todd Gurley, who probably is in that category too. There is only one winner, and we've known it since he suited back up and went on the field a few weeks ago. Alex Smith uh, is an absolute locked and loaded comeback player of the year. And another important day for him, yesterday's first touchdown pass since 2018. So it's a a wonderful story that uh, warms our hearts in these troubled times. But also opens up the question with uh, the Kyle Allen injury in Washington now, and and, uh, that's a dislocation. So... Horrible injury. He'll be out for the season, but should be able to bounce back from that. What do they do now? They kept Haskins. They didn't deal him at the trade deadline. They're talking about looking at him again. That's the rhetoric that's coming out of the camp, but they don't seem to, this current regime doesn't seem to want to hang the hat on him. So do they go with Alex Smith for the rest of the season? Do they give the start back to Haskins? They're still in the NFC East race. I mean, what do they do? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't disagree that it's a great story. Um, and before I get to that, I, I would. I think it's interesting to note if there were fans there. Washington fans can be notoriously tough on quarterbacks. So here's my question for you: In a full, and I know they're allowing some distance uh, crowds into FedEx Field. Mm-hmm. How bad would Alex Smith have to play before he got booed? <laughs> I mean, I think there's a. Does he have to throw the Ty, Ty Detmer uh, seven interceptions yeah. when he was a quarterback in Cleveland? He's got a gentleman off the play. He's got to throw a Delon to, <laughs> to do it. I mean, I mean, Eagles fans booed Santa Claus and threw snowballs uh, at him. So yes. I don't you know if he was a Philadelphia Eagle, Alex Smith was. No, look, it, it is a really good story. There's no doubt about it. Um, I do think he's best off being a guy that comes in and and, uh, and pitches out of relief, if you will. Dwayne Haskins, I think they need to learn a little more about him. Remember, Regime change is uh, are, are big things, and especially with quarterbacks, you end up sort of entering into a forced marriage. Ron Rivera may have opinions about Dwayne Haskins from training camp, from the starts that he's seen already, from watching from afar when he was with the Carolina Panthers that may not uh, may not suggest. I've, I've seen it in, in Detroit Lions teams I've covered where Matt Millen comes in and, you know, say Joey Harrington, uh, his, his time Joey. is limited. It doesn't matter yeah. really what he does on the field or how much he tries to lead off the field. So... Rivera may have already cast that die. I, I don't know, but I do think the safer pick right now, um, and I don't mean that from from the potential for Alex Smith to get hurt again, is is to go with Haskins, mm-hmm. see what's there. And the worst thing that happens is Haskins plays himself into conversation for the job next year. Um, I, th- I right. worry that Washington fans just look and go, so many other organizations have their guy. Uh, and their guy may not work out, but they're, you know, they're sort of, it's a try. It's on a trial basis. I worry Washington just falls through the cracks and the fans and, and the team itself don't love any of their quarterbacks right now. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch that play out. Uh, we're out of time, Mr. Brady. Always a pleasure. You got me thinking uh, with your musical uh, references today and actually with the Spinal Tap reference, I'm going to dig up Spinal Tap this week. You got me, I haven't watched it for a while and it, one of the greats and it's a long overdue watch in the, in the Coombs house. So I'm going to dig up Spinal Tap uh, and we're going to catch up with you very soon. You're back on the show imminently. Yeah, uh, well, exactly. Uh, as the, you know, not necessarily before a vaccine that, but if I am vaccinated, <laughs> if I do the show highly vaccinated, no one's going to complain about that. I, I can assure you all my other vaccines are up to date next time we speak. Uh, I, I want to see the paperwork and I'll give you an update on that, <laughs> on that email to Bruce Arians uh, that, we, uh, <laughs> that we launched the show talking about. Always a pleasure, man. Crack and work as ever. Check in soon. Thanks, Nat. 
great stuff from Mr. Brady. He's back, not next Monday, the week after. We are back later on this week to get you set for week 10. So wherever you listen to us, however you listen to us, make sure you subscribe and you won't miss a trick. We'll see you for the week 10 preview later on this week. Bye for now. Podcast Network.